and welcome to another episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin, here with my co-host of the triumphant Duke University, Mr. Teos Avadia. Hey, Teos. From three-point range, coming hot, it's your Teos. No, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, honestly, my, my achievement for the weekend was that I got back from being in Phoenix for Thanksgiving, and immediately we got a tree, which we went out and cut, and we, not from a neighbor's yard, and uh, and then I put up the Christmas lights like Clark Griswold did not fall off the ladder, all while listening to our friend Tim Harford's podcast. Oh yeah. Uh, and then uh, yeah, and the house is decorated and everything. I feel super successful uh, coming into this Monday. Yeah, I got out of bed once I think in the last four nice. days. So, so good, yeah, good on you. Good same, on you. same. You and I partnership. Yep, yep exactly. Uh, I'll I'll take over now and do things for the next four days, and you can lie in bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. It'll be great. But a lot of news has come down in the last week since last we spoke. So let's get into that before we continue our look at Fizzman's Treasury of Dragons. Woo. So in the news, there was a, an interview with the head of Hasbro E1's entertainment division, Michael Lombardo, talking about how D&D TV shows are going to be a big focus for Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro moving forward. And this is not something that we've heard of specifically from from this uh, Michael Lombardo, president of Hasbro's E1 division, uh, E1 Entertainment division. But it's it's if you are a fan of fantasy uh, entertainment, this could be could be something for you. Well, that's me, Sean. Tell me. Yes. What's so happening? I will tell you what's happening. Uh, he did an interview with Deadline, and uh, online uh, news source. And Lombardo, just to put this in perspective, used to be at HBO. So he knows a bit about making TV series for, you know, cable. Uh, yeah. And what he said was that our big focus right now is Dungeons & Dragons. You know, that's big right. news coming from the Hasbro uh, entertainment yeah. division head. Uh, he says, we don't want it to just be one show. So we are building out, developing a multi-pronged approach for television, a number of scripted TV shows and unscripted. And we hope to be taking this out to the marketplace early next year. Well, it's almost the end of this year. So mm -hmm. early next year would be just a few months away. I'm ready. Hit me. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> although you... you know, because this guy is a president kind of level, taking it out to the marketplace could mean like we're going to start talking about. True. True. Or it could be, yeah, you know, we're going to start showing advertisers, or we're going to start right. showing sponsors, or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I think you know that he also said something about the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, did you want to mention what? He said yeah. So this is tasty because in the past, you know, we've heard about like the one scripted show that John Wick uh, creator Derek Kolstad is doing. And then we've got this recent G4 network unscripted show. Mm -hmm. And both of those were sort of talked about like they don't tie into the movie. Right. And he says here, we have a big movie that's in post right now that will come out first. So we're trying to also navigate the brand more holistically so that the movie feels not apart from but connected somehow to a bigger universe. So that's the first talk that whatever they're going to whatever else they're doing 
will apparently link up to it. Or maybe even the, the show that the uh, John Wick creator is working on, maybe they'll start tying that in too. Sort of the way we saw with Mandalorian where things get added in and, and bridging into all the other Star Wars shows. So yeah. uh, clearly, you know, it's like the Marvel approach that everybody wants to do, right? right. Uh, they they want to have those links to all the stories and, and make you feel like part of a whole so that you'll consume it all. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were just talking this weekend, you know, as like Hawkeye. The, the Hawkeye series comes out and we finally got to watch uh, the, you know, some of the movies uh, that have come out within the last six months that mm -hmm. we haven't got to the theater to see uh, the Marvel movies. And we're like, Oh yeah, I remember that they're actually putting these out in, you know, there's phase one and phase two <laughs> and phase three. And while it doesn't mean anything specifically in terms of what's in the, the, products only the fact that they're connected but it's more about like the hype around it it's like oh phase one is ending with this big movie and then what's going to be in phase two? Ooh, they're teasing phase two right yeah. and so it's more of a fan thing and if they can do that with these dnd &D products uh, entertainment products that would be you know really cool for fans yeah and and it i mean it it says a lot i think the whole thing about this article that is amazing to me is is that you know, they could have easily said our focus is Transformers or G.I. Joe or any other property. Right. But but it really seems this is yet another example of how at Hasbro D&D &D matters. And as we've said many times, you especially it used to not at all. Right. It was just this little. Yeah, we also have this thing over there. Maybe someday it'll do something. Well, we're at that day. Right. Yeah. And like when when you hinge things on D&D, &D, like because. You know, Hasbro spent, I think, like $4 billion on E1, right? This was a big acquisition to bring it into Hasbro. And and so it's a, it's a, it's a risk. It's a gamble to, to say we're going to have an entertainment division. We're going to own it in-house. We're not just going to partner. We're still partnering with, like, Netflix and, and HBO Max and all that. But we're going we're gonna to own a thing, too. Right. And perhaps really build it into something. So there's a lot riding in this. And so when you say, like, well, let's hitch the horse to D&D, &D, yeah. I mean... Yeah. which is unproven in this realm, right? Like that's right. cool. They believe in it. And apparently they must believe in the movie. If the movie, which is in post right. was terrible and all the actors are, you know, trying to not complain about it or whatever, right. this probably wouldn't be happening. So yeah, true. Good news. Yeah. And not only is it unproven in the past, it's proven to be kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so that's for me, <laughs> what's the opposite of proven, <laughs> right? Right. Exactly disproven uh, and and you know there are there are various theories about that you know why does marvel do so well and D, D has it not done so well and it wasn't because they didn't put money into it it wasn't because they didn't try uh, and you know for me it always comes back to D, D is or has been a a concept more than a character, right? Mm. Marvel has characters. Yeah. D&D &D does have characters, but they're characters that are unknown unless you are actually into D&D. &D. You know, yeah. I could walk down the street and say, and I could have done this 10 years ago, you know, what's the Incredible Hulk? And mm. random person on the street would go, oh, it's a superhero. They wouldn't know it was Marvel. They wouldn't know. But, you know, turns green and gets angry and beats things right. up. Yeah, yep. if you, there's not that sort of direct recognition with individual characters in in D and D, so you sort of have to create those 
uh, things. Yeah. In in the well, public conscience, apart apart from just yeah. fans. But there's obviously that opportunity, right? Just the way that like Boba Fett is just a cool name and a cool suit of armor, but had basically no lines, right. and 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 no supporting backstory or anything. And now we've got you know multiple levels of Mandalorian type stuff. We have entire arcs that are part of the Clone Wars, um, you know, Rebels series. We have the Mandalorian itself. We have other Mandalorians. We have Boba Fett. You know, yeah. and and all of that can get treated. And so in the same way, you could see how Wizards could do something like a show about a paladin that really cements what a paladin is. True. And and both the the concept would register. And the um, the 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 personage that somebody who you know a, a stern bright blade type kind of thing could could mm -hmm. exist that would would in people's minds on the public level you know make sense and you could do that for various classes in one show right if you did it properly sure yeah it would just take cool. a little more time that's all yeah. yeah yeah so we'll see how that how they do in setting that foundation and how quickly they can get these characters into the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's an interesting thing to uh, keep track of. We've got a link to not only that deadline interview, but also a comic book, uh, dot com news article focusing on, uh, E one and Hasbro. Yeah. Uh, you just heard less than an hour ago that one of the, uh, one of the positions at wizards of the coast has been filled. Yeah. Uh, so tell me That's about that. Exciting news. Uh, this is the narrative lead for the digital publishing and licensing team. Sam, Sam Maggs announced just before we recorded, she's joining the team today. Uh, she announced it on Twitter. And she's focusing on Wizards of the Coast video games. Mm -hmm. She has worked extensively on sort of narrative takes of existing properties. She's written her own books uh, and comics, but also those that support video games and all kinds of things. Uh, Marvel's Spider-Man, comics writer for Captain Marvel, My Little Pony and Transformers, which those last two are Hasbro properties, mm -hmm. and uh, Critical Role Comics, Star Wars. So, you know, the, exactly the kind of person you want for this kind of piece that can take uh, canon and lore and all of that and turn it into a, a good story for the general public. Absolutely. She also, I, I was looking at her bio, and she says her parents kept her from school to marathon view Indiana Jones over and over again. So I really support this hire. Yes, that's that. Th these are the kind of people we need creating our stories. <laughs> people that eschew normal education for the the uh, for the storytelling, and the and it's Indiana Jones, so even better for you. Oh it's yeah. Like, Wonderful. She, she could have just said that and gotten the job. Uh, if you had been hiring. Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, yep. those are the kind of things you can't legally ask about. Uh, were, did your child, you know, yeah. as a child, were you raised on Indiana Jones? But it's what I wish I could ask during an, all interviews, even exactly. for my day job. <laughs> yep, yep. So uh, congratulations to Sam Max and, you know, Godspeed in your, in your work uh, creating mm -hmm. stories for us. So looking forward to seeing that play out. Uh, Roll20 has announced some pretty interesting new features. Uh, so as part of Roll20Con, uh, which just concluded recently, Roll20 announced several new upcoming features. There will be a Roll20 app available for iPhone and Google Play, focusing on 5e players with dice rollers, character sheets, game integration, and then eventually we'll have functionality 
additional functionality and character sheets for other games. Yeah, I've got it on my phone. I haven't done a whole lot with it other than to just quickly see that, you know, hey, it indeed connects. But you can play. And, and I know this came up when I was running uh, games in Spanish um, for Ball and Games. There were a couple of people who, you know, joined the Discord. And then when they realized the game was on Roll20, said, oh, I only have my phone, so I can't really connect. Mm-hmm. And they d- had to drop out. Um, and... So this now is a way that folks who only connect to the internet via the phone or prefer to can can connect that way and play, yeah. which is awesome. Yep. So, you know, good news there. The thing that caught my eye was the isometric map support coming. So, you know, instead of the top-down sort of token view, you now yeah. get the 3D isometric view, um, which, you know, for people who are used to video games that, you know, want that sort of feel for it, you know, that's right up their alley. I want to see now somebody do a stream that runs Ravenloft, where all the rooms are done isometrically, just like those there famous isometric maps. There you go. Or, or maybe even something out of the old Wilderness Survival Guides or Dungeoneering mm-hmm. Survival Guides, which also use that kind of isometric mapping. That'd be really funny to see. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's not a small amount of work to do. So mm-hmm. the fact that they're to the point where they feel they can announce it, um, it's cool. Either means it's on its way soon, or they're scared and they want to get people on board right now. Uh, <laughs> Why would which, they be scared, Sean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, other new features uh, or corrected features, they have better page duplication, uh, icon placement, map image placement, turn ordering, toolbar changes, and more. Uh they're also going to automatically add safety cards to games for people to use if they choose. Uh, and 2022 will bring revised accessibility options, user uh, interface adjustments, easier character generation and copying, updated language and currency support, and more community support. So, you know, a host of changes coming to Roll20. Roll20 has been ramping up with hires, you know, over the last, especially year, it feels like. Um but also just, you know, they've been reaching out to people. Like, I've had conversations with them, a number of, of other designers I know. They've been, you know, contacted either to be part of the Spotlight membership, uh, where, where you kind of uh, are someone who will peri- they'll periodically shine the light on you and you shine the light on them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so more community, more uh, working with people in the industry. Uh, a lot that's going on here, which is good because I feel for quite some time, Roll20 was just sort of always the same interface. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you learn to love it, but but you know that first contact was maybe a little rough, and I think they're, this shows that they're aware with, of that, and they know that the tool is very good, but could be better and could mm-hmm. be easier. Um, yeah. So it's cool to see all this, and it's and a lot of these are things that are pretty impressive and seem like they'd be hard to do. So so they're clearly putting a lot of work on it. Yeah, and again, it makes you wonder: do they do they fear that they've they've been sort of the industry leader for a while? Uh, and so as rumors swirl that maybe other larger, more well-funded mm-hmm. institutions may be stepping into their space, they would need to step it up to make it more accessible, yeah. to make it more user-friendly. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, good on them for, for, for doing that. Competition breeds innovation. Yeah, that's what they say. Either that or competition breeds, uh, you know, 
gasoline and a lit match, depending on <laughs> what sort of uh, what sort of capitalism you're talking about. But yes, well, yes, there is that. both can be true. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so MCDM has announced a price increase and has released uh, Arcadia issue ten. So uh, they had a five dollar level for their Patreon to get issues of Arcadia, and they are raising that to ten dollars. Um, if you're already at five dollars, um, you can keep that as long as you maintain your membership. But for new uh, Patreon supporters, there the ten dollar level is the new tier for the the five E Arcadia magazine, which seems and, fine. Yeah. yeah, and that starts December first. So the other thing you can do is if you hear this before then, you know, and you join, then you get, you know, to be in that old version. And then, what's in Arcadia 10, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Um, Familiar Suspects by Celeste Conowich has advice and instruction on taking almost any creature and turning it into a familiar for a spellcaster. Plus, it provides five new familiars, including the miniature Zorn and the Unicorn Foal, because why not? I mean, that is... That is, I think those two examples just feel like the Celeste spectrum right there. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. like super cute miniature Zorn and yeah. Unicorn Foal is vintage Celeste, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I could just see Big lots fan. and lots of people uh, rushing to get those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Fitzgerald Gray steps out from behind the editor's pen to, to create the article called Arms of Accord. Five new magic weapons crafted ages ago for epic heroes. Those who find the weapon can search for the others, bringing them together makes them even more powerful. So, you know, sort of a, a build, a build a more powerful weapon as you go. Love these sorts of things. Uh, uh-huh. The, the magic item that has its own story. It's its own adventure, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, love that. And, uh, Anthony Joyce Rivera has his defend your Gabo cave. <laughs> uh, so you can play goblin characters in this tower defense style adventure that comes with pre-gens, a customizable base, and several deadly traps. And then you'll need them all to defend your gobble cave from monocle-wearing <laughs> sturges and undead kobolds. So, you know, more just great, fresh, uh, interesting yeah. art of, uh, stuff from Arcadia. That's awesome. And there is a Latin America breakout project going on on Kickstarter, or will be going on on Kickstarter if it isn't already. Yeah, it's, it's live. Want, it's live? Okay, tell me more. Yeah, so uh, five new games from emerging creators in South America are joining forces with Soul Muppet. I don't know anything about Soul Muppet other than obviously that name, yeah. uh, which is too much like my real true name. Uh, <laughs> they are all working, so it's one Kickstarter for all five of these working together. Okay. And this runs the gamut from post-apocalypse to monster alien hunting to joining a witch academy. So there's a very wide variety in what the games are like. Um, and their rules are also fairly distinct. Some of them are very rules light, some are a little heavier, and then they can have different feels as to what the rules are like. And the hope of this is that by banding together, they bring more eyes to one page and to what Latin America has to offer mm-hmm. in the game design realm. Um, you know, just last time we were recording, we were talking about 
the uh, Tormenta uh, Brazilian RPG and how huge it is on mm-hmm. Roll20. So we're starting to see that, but this is another attempt to, to bring eyes to that. Yep. There are special rates for those who are in the global south um, that tend to have different economies and then uh, and then normal pledge levels for everyone else um, or let's say higher priced ones for those countries that have that kind of currency going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Kickstarter lasts through December 7th, so you don't have that much time to back it, but check it out. You can just back an individual game or two or four or five, depending on what you like. There you go. Yep. By the time this show drops, there will be about... 48 hours left probably mm-hmm. um, and it has funded so get yourself in there and support our south american gaming friends Woo. and the last bit of news is all about teos yeah <laughs> so teos was on a uh interview podcast called dungeon masters Guildhouse with matthew whitby and i happened to catch it yesterday oh um, did you and it was great it was wonderful <laughs> great great discussion uh you know the topics ranged from writing comedy to freelancing to you know just general gaming topics and you know you were brilliant as always what can i say well yeah. that's very kind yeah um i hopefully did provide some some useful tips i know that some people liked i shared sort of how i like to start a project with some goals mm-hmm. and talked about how i do that but Matthew's great. If you've watched him, any of his shows, he's he's a really nice, very relaxed interviewer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a DM's Guild designer himself, and, and he's covered just wonderful people. So you can see all kinds of great people on, on the YouTube. So you don't have to come to watch me. You've, you've heard me speak plenty. Uh, so feel free, just take a, you know click that link in our show notes, and then you can watch the other shows with some really great designers that you may not have heard of. There you go. So that is our news for this week. Which gives us now some time to delve into the treasury of dragons of Fizzband. Part three, we are still on chapter one character creation, but we're going to finish that up and then move deftly into chapter two. So let's let's talk for a minute about, uh, I, I want to spend a minute, we usually say, oh yeah, and there's this table. But I actually <laughs> want to take a second to to talk about the, the tables, the table here, and tables in general, because I am personally not a fan of them, mm-hmm. but I know that they serve a purpose in our productions, in our books, in our game. And so, you know, I'm not talking about like magic item random tables or things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about these sort of player facing, this is what we do, or this is why you do what you do. We're going to help you build a character table. Mm-hmm. And what I what I'm constantly doing, since I'm not a big fan of them as as a consumer, but as a creator, I want to bust through that wall of I don't like these to make them as absolutely useful as possible. And and, and can I maybe start, Sean? So like this particular sure. one yeah. is called Heroes of the Dragon draconic character ties and the idea is that this is a table of 10 things that tie you in some way to dragon kind mm-hmm. right so and so, as an example yeah uh, yeah so my, my first thought with this table is we already have 
draconic races. We already have draconic subclasses. Those themselves are the ties to dragons. So if, if I'm playing a dragonborn monk you know, of, of the subclass that we discussed last time, the way of the ascendant dragon, I'm already steeped in dragony stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, oh, I'm the wrong table. I roll a four or, you know, I roll a five. I roll a five. Okay. Boom. What? I use my class features to take on draconic characteristics. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, that's what my, you know, class and my, you know, racial abilities are. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just seemed like this was, it didn't really add much to me, even as a, like a new player, I, I could have rolled this and been, been just underwhelmed with some of these. Um, and then some of them are really like four is I have a dragon for a mentor or patron. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Okay. But now that's the DMs. Yeah. Right? Now the DM is on the hook to to make this uh-huh. dr- dragon patron or mentor, which most now- most DMs would be like, oh, "Cool, okay, let's do it." But that's intruding on the world, you know, the world of the DM, who might not want dragons to be wandering around the, the world. Yeah, and number nine is very interesting. I recently discovered that a person I loved and trusted was a dragon in disguise. Like, what do I do with that? Right. And and dragons, how does a dragon disguise themselves? They, they don't, a lot of them polymorph, don't have polymorph, right? They don't have, that's not an ability they have. Well, some do. Some it's do, a, right. Because it's, it's a variant Right, uh, but, but not ability. all of them. If, you, if right. all you have is the the player's handbook or the monster manual. Mm. It's not like it's right there in the stat block. Uh, I think it is though. Is it? it? Okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's an option in dragons in the monster manual. Okay. That, cool. So I think that's where that comes from that they yep. can, some can do it. Yeah. But, now, but, but I, but yeah. I hear what you're saying, right? Which is that, that it's, is it, so, so these, these tables and, and I kind of feel this too. Like I look at these, I guess where I thought, I thought these tables Sometimes I like I play at a convention and, you know, there's one person that has like the coolest character concept ever. And there's usually one person that's like, what do you, you know, describe your character and what motivates them? I am wearing plate mail and I have a shield and a long sword. Yeah. All right. And that's the, that's the description they give. And right. throughout the adventure, there is no more characterization than that. And so right. my thought was maybe this is trying to help that person. Yeah. But what 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 should there be instead? Things like number six. I have a dragon tooth, horn, claw, or scale that I use as my focus for my spellcasting. All right, that's not necessarily a draconic tie, but at least it's something that is within your own character's world and isn't just the obvious, I like to look like a dragon, so that's why I use my class features. Um, it's I don't know it it doesn't add for me it doesn't add anything to the story mm-hmm. uh, of of the character or the world in in a way that's interesting or different or 
sort of beyond something that you should just sort of be second nature, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, this is not, I'm not even trying to disparage this table. I'm trying to, as a designer now, understand that tables have an audience and I want to make those as useful as possible. So I'm basically looking for an answer. I'm looking for help. I'm looking for, you know, don't just say I use my class features to take on draconic characteristics. Now, if if you're playing a fighter and, you know, when I second wind, I, you know, I breathe fire. It doesn't do any damage, but that shows I have a draconic tie. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I'm looking for something, but I'm sort of fighting this sort of yeah. table table boredom i think yeah yeah i I hear what you're saying there there's something there for sure that these these tables i I think also i in this particular instance the subheaders the all of the naming of it to me is is sort of oriented in a way that's confusing like i thought i was going to get something about people who are heroes for dragons and then and 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 the way the the text starts flowing you're thinking oh okay you know this is going to be some special thing oh it's a table of role playing inspiration and i sort of feel like all of the the ta- the name of this header section header all of this could have been like ways to role play your character to have draconic ties right and 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 some advice on how to modify these idea prompts into something better and I think they feel like every table has to have the ability to roll on it just because, you know, right. so fine. But um, but to me, this is more like a bullet list of concepts that you will hopefully not actually use, but rather will give you some inspiration. I don't right. know. And, and in and that maybe, sense, don't make it a table. Just right. say, here are some ways. And yeah. th- that you're right. It's It's sort of, it says draconic character ties. So I'm thinking, okay you have a draconic character using these things the here is a tie for them, but then it says draconic tie. So it's really tied to dragons, not ties that are used by draconic characters. Characters. So yeah, yeah it, it is, it is a little confusing in that sense as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think where, where tables are especially helpful or maybe most. Yeah. It is when they will push you in a slightly different direction. Right. And this table's trying to do all the job, right? It's trying to cover all the possibilities where you might be a dragonborn or you might be a halfling rogue. And and so because of that, it's a little, you know, and, and, and I think it's just a little too over the place too. I mean, I revere, revere and draw my power from one of the dragon gods. Uh, you know, that explains me as a barbarian. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it could. It could, but yeah, it does, it just sort of, yeah, it just doesn't do the full job for me. Because um, yeah. if you're a see... cleric, you already have a god. Right. I mean, why then just do that? Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's I interesting. Would, it's I doing too much. That, that bullet point list and actually explain how to make this work. If, if you uh, want to be connected to one of the dragon gods, work with your DM with these, with these uh, caveats or with these uh, points to remember. What is your connection? You know, actually build yeah. out the the list and and take the time to explain it, um, rather than just throw a table in and have it not really necessarily 
mean yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, and again, I'm 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 thinking of this now as mm-hmm. a designer, not as a reviewer yeah. of this, because I can't say I could have come up with anything better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but but there have been a number of things out there that when their job is specifically to help you create an interesting character, they've done so well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even what was there? There was a Wizards project. Oh, Xanathar's, right? It has sort of a whole background generating thing mm-hmm. that mimics some of the old books that used to exist in the AD and D era from third parties, um, like casting whatever it's called, the casting series of books. Anyway, they. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that Xanathar's has some decent approaches to how to create your backstory in interesting ways, and and maybe they could have used that approach, but that probably takes up too much page space. <laughs> true, true. All right. Well, I mean, thank you for indulging me in, in that mm-hmm. uh, that talk. But let's move on to draconic feats. So we get three specific draconic feats in this chapter. Uh, the first, as I scroll down, being gift of the chromatic dragon so you get the following benefits if you take this feat you get chromatic infusion so as a bonus action you can touch a simple or martial weapon and infuse it with one of the following damage types and it gives you the acid cold fire lightning or poison choices so for the next minute your weapon deals an extra 1d4 damage of this type when it hits after you use this bonus action you can't do so again until you finish a long rest um, you also get reactive resistance, so you can take acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. When you take it, you can use your reaction to give yourself resistance to that instance of damage. Um, you can use this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and then regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Uh, thoughts? Mm. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> From a design perspective, excitement perspective, the resistance fine, right? That scales because whatever the damage you took... You can give yourself resistance. So if you're twentieth level, fifth level, second level, it all works. This is all useful. Um, it's equal num- number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. So that's pretty strong. So that's actually almost the beef of this feat ends up being this. Mm-hmm. The what it led with this idea that you can infuse your weapon with damage that is of a type of a dragon. Um, one, it's a little fantastic for me for core D and D, but I mean I guess this is dragon flavored D and D, but a D4 damage, you know, it's almost not even worth my roll in the dice, I feel like, in the in the world of 5e, unless I'm low level. Because mm-hmm. if I'm just doing a D6 damage and I had a D4, well, that's a sweet bonus at level 1 or 2. Right. After that, mm, once per long rest. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, I mean, feats for me are just problematic to, to start with. And I could wax philosophical now about... You know, taking a sharpshooter or <laughs> great weapon master feat where you're doing plus 10 damage yeah. basically on every attack, except for those yeah. few times that you actually miss. Um, and my problem with feats forever since third edition has been your power gamers are going to get more powerful and your more role play characters are not going to keep up. And that's yeah. where the game breaks down most is in yeah. that d- delta between the, your most powerful characters and your least powerful characters playing at the same table. Yeah, and, some and feats are feats math band-aids, yeah. some feats are math breakers, and some are just color. And, yeah. and the color can be the most fun of all, but the game then creates these incentive choices. Yep. You know, chromatic, inf- chromatic infusion could just be 
could be different, right? It, it could be um, a bigger hit once that would be neat. Some exciting, like, like, you know, that you could crit on one number lower than you normally would, right? So if it's normally a 20, a 19 will also cover it. Just do that once. That might be fun. Thrown in with the reactive resistance would be exciting. And when you're at high levels, that would still be really exciting because you might be like a rogue that throws in a whole bunch of dice. It could be just like, whoa, I get to crit when I wouldn't have, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's um, something else that would that would work at different levels would have made this a little more exciting. Well, even, I just think yeah. even half just your career, so, you'll resent having to roll that die. <laughs> yes. You can choose to do this type of damage on your weapon attack. Right. That, you yeah. know, th then you're dealing with resistances. You can get around mm -hmm. resistances or actually hit vulnerabilities. Uh, and that yeah. stacks as you level and that up. May, that, that may be what they were thinking design-wise, is that just doing a different type can be a strong benefit and the D4 yeah. is just icing. But I, I just find that adding a little extra dice is finicky and then enough people have math issues as it is that throwing another four-sided die into the equation yep. of math is not worth its payoff. So. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next feat is Gift of the Gem Dragon. So you manifest these benefits. You can increase your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma score by one. Nice. And then you get telekinetic reprisal. Uh, when you take damage from a creature within 10 feet of you, use your reaction to emanate telekinetic energy the creature that dealt the damage must make a uh, strength saving throw, which is DC 8 plus proficiency bonus, plus the ability modifier score that you increased with this feat. On a failed save, the creature takes 2d8 force damage and is pushed up to 10 feet away from you. Uh, on a successful save, the creature takes half damage and isn't pushed, and you can use this a number of times equal, equal to your proficiency uh, bonus, and you regain them after a long rest. This is the kind of feat that I feel like, you know, it's called Gift of the Gem Dragon because they're psionic dragons. This is just like cool psionic feat. Yeah. <laughs> psionic force reactor master. Yeah. It's really like you could this drop this puppy right into a Dark Sun game, right? Or into sure. some kind of Planescape cool thing where you're playing a scion. Like this is, I think that's really neat. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely true. Uh, and you know, power-wise, it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It, you, you get the, since it's a little weaker, you get the plus one ability score increase. And then, you know, what follows is, is gravy. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know what I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this book will convince me to love gem dragons. Mm -hmm. At this point in the stage, I am, I am, I must admit, I don't super love their concept. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping by the end of this, I can say that I'm on the other side of it, Sean. Yep. I I don't have a strong opinion either way. I understand their role in the game in the past, even mm -hmm. though I really never used them in any games mm -hmm. or campaigns that I ran. So I don't really have a strong feeling. But for the third and final feat offered in Fizzbands, we have Gift of the Metallic Dragon. So you manifest these benefits, Draconic Healing, you learn the Cure Wound spell. You can cast the spell without expending a slot. Um, once you cast it in this way, you can't do so again until you finish a long rest. Um, and you can also cast it using the spell slots that you have. Uh, and the second thing you get is Protective Wings. You can manifest Protective Wings that shield you uh, or others. So if you are a creature within five feet of you that you can see is hit by an attack roll, 
use your reaction to spread those spectral wings and grant a bonus to the target's armor class equal to your proficiency bonus against that attack roll, potentially causing it to miss. You can do this a number of times uh, per long rest equal to you to your proficiency bonus. Um, go ahead, hit me. <laughs> I mean, you I'm can. just a little bit. Uh-huh, I'm, a, like the wings. <laughs> I'm a little allergic. Ah, uh-huh, yeah, I'm yeah. a little allergic to AC boosts as a reaction because shield is already tough enough that people, you know, double dip just to get that. And this is now another option for those characters that want to be like. I protective wings that away, you know, yeah. just when you think you finally hit someone's incredible AC. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. Uh, and for me, something that we've talked about in the past across the whole misdirected mark network is the, the idea of latency of the, the time difference it takes you to resolve an action because of the rules of the game. So the sword is swung. How long does it take before you know the result of that sword swing? And the higher the time, the higher the latency is in this game. And rules like this just add to that latency. And that's not, latency doesn't equal bad because you may love the, you know, the layering of rules on top and discussing that and flipping through the rule book to figure out finally what happened. But if, it, if you're more into the narrative and just want to know what happened and get on to the next turn, that latency is a negative to the game. And so I can see this happening. Okay, I have protective wings. I hit this person. <laughs> next, you know, The next person next to you gets hit. Are they within five feet? Yes. Okay, we've, we've got that. How much were they hit by? Oh, four. Okay, what's my proficiency bonus? Okay, my proficiency <laughs> bonus is four. So, I, okay, so if I cast that, but it's a tie. Was this a tie? A tie misses. Okay, then I'll do it. Uh, now, how many times have I used it? I, uh, what's my? I've used it three times. Oh, okay, I have four times because my proficiency yeah. bonus is plus four. So you know, it turns into this sort of discussion at the table that I would, even though it's more powerful, I would rather just have it say a creature yeah. is missed. And can I say after you go through all of this, then I have to speak up and go. Actually, a tie hit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly because you were doing so much math that right. you forgot that, that actually that, it's, that a, it's a success <laughs> and uh yeah and, and that's what i'm talking about right that's, i'm talking yeah, about totally. just this this back and forth that i would say for some players is fine and actually welcome but for many players it just takes away from yeah. the the action the story the 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 roll of the yeah. die and move on sort of Field. And many things aren't felt at that second, but it's sort of like that thing where at the end you're like, how did the session go? And you're like, it was okay. I can't put my finger on it, but it felt sluggish. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the, the action just can't ever get going because it's so, yep. you know, it just gets interrupted so much. Or the, the whole feeling the DM has of like never being able to threaten the party, right? The party is just countering everything because they have so many reactions and defenses and whatever is through all these features. Yep. Instead of being more like what core 5e D&D was, where there was a limited number of those, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so you would only get every now and then some of this. But more it was monsters trading blows and see what everybody brings to the table. And you got to see things play out. Yep. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So, you know, it's not terrible. It's just that one, that thing that might add one more block to the tower of 
slow play that you yeah. tend to get, especially at a higher level. Well, and if your proficiency bonus is plus three, you're doing this three times every single day, right? which for a lot of play cases is going to be three times in a combat if yep. you're having that one per day fight. Exactly. Um, and that's that's a fairly big boost, right? Plus three AC three times in that one bite fight of the day. Mm, mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yep. It can get annoying. So that brings us to chapter two called Dragon Magic, where we talk about spells, magic items, uh, horde items, and draconic gifts. Let's, you want to dig right into spells? Yeah. Let's Spell do it this. Up. All right. So we're going to go take these spells by level. We get seven new spells. Uh, the first spell is called Nefer's Mischief. Whew, now bear with me on this one. So you fill a 20-foot cone within 60 feet with Fey and Draconic Magic. The player must roll a D4 to determine the effect. The first Now, the first three are going to involve things with saving throws, either becoming charmed, blinded, or incapacitated. And then <coughs> the fourth is difficult terrain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is, this is, I'm going to let Teo start and then I'm going to bring it home. <laughs> I mean, so th- this is strong three out of four times, right? Difficult terrain is a wah wah. Uh, it, but, and there's no damage here, but incapacitated man. Ooh, that is like, we've seen hypnotic pattern and this is just another version of that. And that's rough. Any of these are rough, but incapacitated where you have no actions or reactions, that is rough. Yep. So not only is that rough, but check out the, now let's break down this spell. So it's a 20 foot cube. So it's going to get many squares on the grid. It affects creatures, not just enemies. So all your friends are going to have to roll saving throws. Now, granted, if you charm them, I, you know, I guess that's okay. But you yep. could blind and incapacitate them as well. And it's an illusion spell. It's not an evocation spell. So I don't know if that ability that lets you keep players out of, you know, friends mm-hmm. out of your area of effect, is that's only evocation spells, I think. I don't The sorcerer one? Is everything metamagic? Uh, no, the if you're an evoker. Oh, oh, yeah, maybe. You yeah, can probably. But I, I think that's only evocation spells. So you can't right. even, there's not a good chance you can leave your allies mm-hmm. out if, if you're that sort of caster. Um, so now everyone needs to make the save. If you, you know, we talk about uh, latency. Everyone in that area needs to make a save. So you have to figure out, then you roll the d4. Well, mm-hmm. roll the d4 first. All right. So what does charmed mean? Uh, I don't know. Let's look it up. What does blinded do? Well, I don't know. Let's look it up. What does incapacitated do? I don't know. We better look it up. Uh, not not only that, the next round, assuming you it maintain changes. concentration, you don't opt out of it if you make the save once. You need to make the save again. And it because the whole thing changes. Yeah, and it's then a everything whole new changes. Effect. So it's not like you can just look up what blinded actually means and run with that for the whole spell. No, you're changing it all the time. Uh, and I know that, so this spell is for people that just love, love the wand of wonder, right? Yeah. They, they, yeah, you, yeah. You, you love the, the sort of chaos. I could see a player at my table with my strange and wonderful group casting this spell just because it's going to cause chaos. <laughs> Mayhem. Yeah. And then having us 
its allies attack the caster to try to get them to drop concentration because we don't want them to cast it anymore because it's taking so long. Uh, I could see totally that happening in my table. Yeah. And if it's yeah. happening at my table, it's probably happening at other tables as well. Uh, just say no, especially it's, if you're playing yeah. in a timed, at a time game. Uh, just say no. It's an interesting design, but yes. uh, yeah, it, I think it, it has too many not fun possibilities. I mean, it's 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 doing what the spell says, right? It's Nathar's <laughs> mischief. It's not Nathar's. Let's get this over quickly. Uh, no. It's definitely it does its job in terms of what it's meant to do. I can't yeah. say what it's meant to do is going to be best for every single game. Mm-hmm. Uh, second level also is Rhymes Blinding Ice. It's a 30-foot cone, um, and you need to make a con save, or you take 3d8 points, and for one minute, you're hindered by ice formations, where your speed becomes zero, and it lasts a minute uh, until another creature uses an action to break away the ice. If you make You save, or another creature. Does it say that? Does it say yeah, you it or, or another creature? creature. Okay. Until it or another creature okay, within cool. reach. Okay, cool. That That was one thing that confused me i didn't see the it uh yeah. so you know second level spell i think it's cool i like it yeah it's strong damage i mean if you look at the damage this is the kind of damage you'd expect this 3d8 for a second level spell um and then you're sort of getting this lockdown as well mm-hmm. uh you know no creature wants to spend an action to break away from the ice so you either have to and it doesn't while it's called hinders you it doesn't do anything other than reduce your speed so you can you're not right. restrained and there's right. no advantage or disadvantage or anything like that you, you, you know you just can't move um but that's great it's a nice lockdown uh honestly this is like a dm's spell yes more than a you know because I, I seldom see parties really say lock this guy down so i can aoe them right they right. that the combat tends to be too fluid for that and players don't generally think that way but DMs do. And this is a great DM arsenal spell because you can lock them down and then have other casters or creatures do things, right? Like pack tactics or whatever. So it really can be beneficial actually on the DM side. I'm a big fan of this spell. <laughs> yes. Yep. I I am right there with you. Uh, so a third level spell we get is a Shardalon Stride. Um, flames blasting your feet. Your speed increases by 20 feet, and your movement doesn't provoke opportunity attacks. If you move within 5 feet of a creature or an unattended object, it takes 1d6 fire damage up to once per turn. Hit me. Um, I like that this is, you know, it's hard to make utilities that are higher level because Mm -hmm. it's like, well, I could be damaging creatures with it. And so this tries to do both. And I I think it's really quite clever design to just make it interesting enough, right? It's super mobile, no opportunity attacks. Every creature you move next to, you can do a D6 fire damage, which isn't a whole lot, but it's, there's no save. It's just add damage. So it kind of works pretty well. Like this is a pretty neat spell. Mm-hmm. And I, I like yeah. that it's available for the artificer, mm-hmm. and it's a bonus action. So you know, there's there's a lot going on for it. Yeah, I I do like how it does break out of the we we're either going to buff or we're going to do damage. I like how it does both. Yeah, but it also for me anyway shows the the difficulty in creating very clear 
rules that try to do more than one thing. Uh, it takes a bit of reading, and there are going to be arguments because it says, you know, while this while this spell is going on, uh, I want to read exactly the, the phrase they use. When you move within five feet of a creature or an object that isn't worn or carried, it takes 1d6 fire damage from your trail of heat. All right. It can only take it once during a turn. So I act, I cast the spell on myself, I move around, everyone takes the damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, now a creature comes up to me. It's within five feet of me, but it is not going to take the damage. Right, because you didn't move. Because I, when you move within five feet. So... Yeah. That's going to be, you know, that's going to be something that players are going to try. Oh, this is going. <laughs> it's within five feet of me. No. Then it's going to be, okay, well, I, I've i got the spell on myself. This other player casts a spell on me that pushes me five feet. <laughs> now I'm within five feet of the target. Still no, because uh, you did not move. Uh, someone yeah. moved you. Now, if they if they do something, if they use an ability that allows you to move as a reaction, then you can. Then move. it would work. Yeah. Then it would work. So this is going to be one of those things that gets argued and argued mm-hmm. and argued, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you have to go with the the wording of the the spell. Move as a game term, not as a general right. definition. Yeah. Um, ah, I can see that. I still like it. I think that oh, this is no, I love it's it. I hard think it's to great. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. It's hard as, to hit that utility mix. Yeah. As long as you as the DM you know, or player just say <laughs> we have to do what the spell said, you know, as it was written, because how it was written in this case is how it's intended. Yep. Uh at fourth level we have Rulathim's Psychic Lance. You unleash a shimmering lance of psychic power from your forehead. Why not? At a creature that you can see within range. Alternatively, you can utter a creature's name. If the named target is in range, it becomes the spell's target even if you can't see it. There's an intelligence save or you take 76 psychic damage and are incapacitated until the start of your next turn. Uh, on a save, there's half damage and no incapacitation. I know what mm-hmm. you're going to say. I'm going to say, did somebody at Wizards of the Coast fall in love with incapacitated? Uh, has Wizards of the Coast never played with someone who casts hypnotic pattern a lot? <laughs> uh, because this is like, it's just begs ruin the DM's favorite encounter with a boss monster in it. Um, it's already strong damage, so it's 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 a good spell anyway. It's an intelligent um, save. Intelligent save, which is strong. So then it's like, well, what else are, are we doing here? And it's like the incapacitated, and that is that's such a problem. It just it's one of those conditions that's just a little too strong in certain situations. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, it's it's easy for player character parties to overcome it it's horribly difficult for monsters to overcome it mm-hmm. um for for most encounters so yeah the, the other thing is this whole name you can utter a creature's name rider so you can target invisible <laughs> creatures i'm yeah. like okay that's cool but what what does what does that mean what is a name 
by rules, yeah. right? Before we we had to use move as a as the game specific definition, not as the general definition. But here you're saying you're using this not as a game term, but as a right. Is it uh, Bob? I I know Bob's over there. So do you need to know just the character, the creature's name? Do you need to know its true name? Right. What if it's a, a demon? Do you just say, you know, that or a devil? Do you say that bone devil over there? Or do well, you have I, so to? I would, no, I think it has to be a name. I mean, that's not a name. Right. But but um, but I think the idea is that if if like it was a let's say it's a dragon that's known by five different names, like Cloggy Liamatar or Old Nawbones. I think either my my read of this, but you know that's what you're pointing out here is it's everybody's read. But my read would be that you need a name for it. It does does it have to be the true name? No, it doesn't have that concept to it. But right. but I think that just you know if, if I said old knob bones, you know prepare to be nerfed, right. that would work. All right, but if you get attacked by invisible assassins, who who you you you've you've seen them before. You know it's the assassins that have been following you, but you don't know any of their names. Right. You can't just say tall assassin wielding the poison blade. <laughs> I don't think so. I wouldn't okay. allow it for sure. But, okay. but yeah, because that's not a name, right? That's a description. I think that's pretty pretty clear. Well, but th that's the thing, right? Name, name in some definitions just means identity in terms of what you're, you know, yeah. You know, so what do you what do you think? Do you think that what would you then advocate someone design here? I would get rid of that writer completely. Just not bother because yeah. it's too problematic. Right. It's yeah. just I, I get it. It's cool, right? Because you can't target something that you can't see. Um well actually if you were yeah, it's yeah, it's just I I, I like the idea of it, but trying to yeah. use that as a writer without further definition just seems problematic. It's just as a DM, I, you know, you could just do what you do just said, and, and that makes sense, but then you get arguments, right? And that's what the rules are supposed to avoid is, is sort of glossing over and making smooth these rough spots. So, Hey, just my thought there. Yeah. Uh, level Fifth level spell is summon draconic spirit. Um, so it's just like the summon spells, uh, the format for those that we saw in Tasha's, except you can summon a large dragon. There's one stat block. You can choose if it's chromatic gem or metallic. The stat block varies depending on that choice. It can fly and swim. And then we'll share a resistance with you of your choice based on um, the type of dragon and then the, the sub element within that dragon it can do a breath weapon every round as well as two claw attacks um, the breath weapon is small it's only like 2d6 yeah. um, and the 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 uh the claws are actually more powerful yeah it's interesting i mean i, mean, I think the idea here is is just to kind of make it fun with the sort of you know it can fly and direct a cone down for 2d6 which doesn't scale at all, but the claw does scale. So the skull, claw is the, the stronger hit, but I guess it's to make positioning interesting. I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, my question was, is this something that I can 
I mean, my, per the rules, I could ride it around, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. There's nothing that says you can't. So you're, if, if it's a large creature and you're a medium creature, go to town. Um, level six spell Fizzband's Platinum Shield. You can protect one creature within 60 feet. That creature has half cover, resistance to cold, acid, fire, lightning, and poison damage. Uh, basically evasion, right? If it makes a dex <laughs> saving throw, that would make half yep. damage. It takes no damage. And then the shield sheds a dim light out to five feet. As a bonus action on later turns, you can move this field to another creature. Uh, I, I was fine with it. The only question I had was, it doesn't say that it moves with the creature, and I, I assume it does, but it probably should say that as just to yeah. clarify. That is um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. That's one of those things. There's there's a cleric spell that's like that. That it, I've used it for a long time, moving this thing around, and then I realized, oh, that thing's stationary. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. move around with me. Right. And yes, that's that's an important thing to clarify. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? No, it's it's pretty strong. It's sort of funny that Fizzben would have a, a spell that's really good for fighting dragons, but um, okay. Yep. I mean, dragons do war against one another, so I guess that's fine. But True. But if he's Bahamut, it's maybe not the most obvious thing for him to have penned, but okay. Yeah. Uh, at 7th level, you get, uh, or you can take as a 7th level spell, Draconic Transformation. Sort of the highlight of all of this whole book for me at this point is... Uh, <laughs> Not only do you get the traits of dragons, why not just turn yourself into basically a dragon? Uh, you get the draconic features, including 30 feet of blind sight, a breath weapon that you can uh, use when you cast the spell and on subsequent turns as a bonus action, and a fly speed of 60 feet. Yeah, this is pretty sweet. I mean, it's a bonus action to cast druid, sorcerer, or wizard spell concentration. So you can, you know, attack cast this as a bonus action and immediately breathe in a 60 foot cone for 68 not bad and then you can just fly around and keep doing it it's pretty cool i mean this would be a fun thing to do right as a character yeah and it is a seventh level spell so yeah i think it fits nicely yeah you get it's sort of following this trend of doing damage and get buffing yourself so you know you get the blind sight you get yeah. you could get the wings 60 foot fly it can be I useful mean, in a lot of different ways bonus action 68 damage is pretty sweet yeah every round for mm -hmm. sure yep so uh that is that is that are the spells for <laughs> those uh, be those be the spells uh so next time we will get into the magic items the horde magic items mm -hmm. and the draconic gifts and maybe even a little bit into chapter three called dragons in play but I want to thank everyone out there for listening to us. I hope you have enjoyed this show and all the other shows that we've done. And I will say thank you also to our patrons uh, who help us defray the costs of hosting and all the other side uh, costs for doing this thing that we do. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP. Uh, Teos, now that you're an internet star, uh, where can people find you or your work? On Matthew Whitby's couch. There you no. go. Uh, you can find me at alphastream.org or on Twitter at alphastream. How about you, Sean? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. 
You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MasteringDND, or you can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com to talk to us. Mastering Dungeons is a Misdirected Mark production. So, Teos, now that we have all these feats and spells, what are we going to do now? We're going to pick a backstory that's going to embarrass the Dragonborn character sitting next to us. Because we'll be more dragon labeling. That sounds like a plan to me. It's all about the embarrassment. <laughs> it's not really why we play, but speak for yourself. <laughs>